0: Well, good morning. It's a beautiful day, and even more so to be together as we worship and as we sit under God's Word. Uh, We do so with uh, great joy, and uh, we continue our series as we uh, work through this chapter in Luke. Chapter 12, our series on surprising words from Jesus about being His disciple and uh, we actually will conclude this series next week. Pastor Stephen Lee will, uh, will conclude the series for us. And then uh, Pastor Moody will be back the week following. So, and I know he's been spending uh, much time in, uh, in uh, refreshment, renewal, but also study of God's Word. And we are eager to hear from him uh, as we begin our fall. Uh, it's just a couple weeks away now, it's hard to believe. As we turn to God's word, please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the life that you grant, the breath we take, we know comes by your very hand, and that you grant new life in Christ, and you give us purpose in life to know you, to love you, to live for you, to worship you, even as we gather this day. And so we ask, as we turn to your word, Lord by your Spirit, that you would show us Christ, show us what it is to know you and love you and follow you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, last week we considered uh, Jesus' words about living for the kingdom of God and kingdom life, and now there's a shift as Jesus turns to the crowds in Luke chapter 12, picking up in verse 54. We just have a few verses in front of us this morning, 54 to 56. And he turns to the crowds with words of warning. This is Jesus speaking. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. This is God's Word. Peter Moore, in his book, The Weather Experiment, offers a gripping account of 19th century weather science and the desperate need for accurate forecasting especially for the mariners of the day. On the 25th of October, 1859, the steam clipper Royal Charter rounded the island of Inglesey off the coast of Wales on what was supposed to be the celebratory last evening of its two-month journey from Melbourne to Liverpool. Some 500 men, women, and children were nearly home Many feeling blessed with fortunes uh, worked from Australia's gold mines. Many of the passengers even had the gold crammed into their pockets and their money belts and into their luggage. It was a ship of famous wealth and of great value. The day's weather had been murky, the barometer falling as the Royal Charter neared Anglesey, its rocky cliffs. An ominous haze overtook the skies of early evening. These telltale signs were an obvious warning for Thomas Taylor, the ship's captain, but they were not heeded. And Peter Moore goes on to give a riveting account of the battle that ensued between ship and storm that raged over the next 12 hours. Thomas Taylor confronted with a decision, 59 Days from Melbourne on a 60 day voyage, passengers toasting him at the dinner table, and yet he chose to sail on. The decision led to the terrifying finale that saw the Royal Charter bashed under the rocks with only 41 of its passengers surviving. Thomas Taylor missed the signs. Had he interpreted the signs rightly, then he would have reached his destination joyfully. Missing the signs on that day had serious consequences for he and his entire charge. It has even more serious consequences when pertaining to kingdom matters. And that is precisely why Jesus has a concern here. Or the crowds as he addresses them on that day with such strong language, with a rebuke and a warning that they are failing to interpret the present time. Serious consequences. And here was Jesus, the one they had waited for, actually, long-awaited Messiah in their very presence, right before their very eyes. The one who was promised from the very beginning, the one who was promised to come, who would crush the head of the serpent and bring healing and redemption. Here he was, the one true prophet, the great high priest, the conquering king, the one who would fulfill his promise to David that your throne would be established forever. The very promise of God now being fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Consider the crowds. Just think about what they have witnessed up until this point as they've, as they've followed Jesus through his Galilean ministry. They can touch him. They can talk to him. They can see him face to face. And, and yet they fail to understand who he is. They've witnessed firsthand his power and authority over all things. They've, they've seen him heal the sick, give sight to the blind. They've, they've seen him heal a man with an evil spirit and give new life to heal another with leprosy and a paralytic and a man with a withered hand and even the centurion's servant, among many, many others. This is what they've witnessed they witnessed his power in, in the greatest of expression and, in physical healing and, and power over the spiritual realm and demons and the devil himself. And that power could only be explained as the very power of the Son of God power to heal, power over demons. This is, this is how Jesus speaks of himself. Just a chapter earlier in Luke 11, he says, If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, which it is, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's Jesus' point as we get to chapter 12. If I do all these things with great power, then you know that the kingdom of God is here. It's present. It's before you. And it's manifested in me. Not only power to heal and power over the spiritual realm, but power over nature as he displayed in in calming the storm and feeding the 5,000. And even still power to raise the dead as he did with the widow's son. And as if that wasn't enough to bear witness to his identity as the Messiah, the coming one, he even had power and authority to forgive sin and bring restoration See, these crowds have seen what no other generation has ever seen. They've seen it manifested in Christ Himself. So when Jesus is talking about these very things, he's talking to the disciples, telling them to what to say. When they go to talk to John about who he is, he he says this go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is Jesus describing his own ministry, and it is actually a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, who said the Messiah would come doing these very things. And that's what they've witnessed. They knew it through the promises of God. They knew it through the testimony of John and now even through Jesus' own signs and miracles and wonders. And with all that in mind then, Jesus turns to the crowds. Knowing what they've seen. Knowing what they've experienced. Seeing Him for who He truly is. And He recognizes that they are failing at the most essential place to rightly interpret who is before them, to rightly understand who Jesus is. And so it's, it's with that in mind that he offers a strong rebuke. You hypocrites, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? See, the danger for for the crowds and for all is that they were missing the moment. There was something significant right in front of them and they had failed to understand it rightly and to see it for what it was. And so Jesus is making this one very simple point in this passage, that that these crowds had focused on the temporal at the expense of the eternal. They they had focused on the temporal at the expense of the eternal. They, They were so preoccupied with the things of the day that they missed the greatest and grandest realities, most ultimate realities in all the world. That was two thousand years ago that Jesus said that, and yet it seems as if He could have spoken those very words on this very day to our world. Has everything to say to us in a twenty-first century context focused on the temporal at the expense of the eternal. Let's think of how they were focused on the temporal. This. These crowds, as Jesus describes them, constantly paying attention to changes in the weather. Predicting what would happen as a result of this or that sign. A cloud rising in the west came from the Mediterranean. It would bring moisture. A, A cloud coming up from the south came over the desert and would bring scorching heat. And they knew this well. They were attuned to these realities. And... You could understand why that was. You can't blame them for that. They lived in an agrarian society. Their livelihood depended on some understanding of what was going to happen in terms of the weather. They had honed their skills of perception and understanding so that they could predict what was coming. It served them well. They were clear-sighted in temporal things. Even... Even sometimes trivial things. You can imagine the conversations around the weather that would happen day in, day out. And so being consumed with these things, they were blind. Obtuse, if you will, toward, toward the things that truly mattered. Jesus nowhere condemns them for working with the things of the day, the temporal things that occupied them. It was simply the fact that they had taken priority and displaced what was more important, which were the eternal things in understanding exactly who it was before them, speaking to them at this moment. Just consider with me how this might apply in our 21st century context. How, what would it look like if, if, we were, if we were the crowds that Jesus were addressing and his concern for us was we were more concerned with the temporal every day of life than we were for the ultimate eternal realities of Christ and his kingdom. It's possible in, in our day to be just like these crowds, isn't it? Taken up with the trivial. Blind to the eternal. Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's uh, the most recent gadget that captures my attention and, and uh, my diligence in pursuing uh, the best buy on a particular product and, and doing all the hard work to find that out. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just the consumption of things and stuff and more and more. Maybe that is what has my attention on any given day. At the expense of something greater, or maybe it's maybe it's athletics. We watched the uh, the Olympics last night, opening ceremonies. It's a, it's a it's a family gathering in our house. We enjoy it, we love it, but it can easily become the uh, the first priority of the day, so to speak. Maybe it's sport. Maybe, uh, maybe you're like someone I know who's constantly checking to see if uh, the Cubs have won the World Series yet. It's going to happen. Be patient. Maybe it's sport. Maybe it's athletic. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's retirement accounts or stock markets. Imagine, if you will, the, the stock market, the stockbroker who's become so keen, so skilled at his craft that he can predict market movements, and and his counsel is heeded because because from it you would find some financial security, and 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 knows the movements so well that he's a benefit to many, and yet has absolutely no grasp of of sin or redemption. Or Christ or the gospel. It's not hard to imagine in our day, is it? Or or any other such professional or non professional, male or female, young or old, occupied with the temporal. That's 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 the the moniker that could be hung over our culture. It's the preoccupation with temporal things. And so often, if we're honest, right, it deals with material things. And money and possessions and wealth. So easy, right, to get taken up by these things. Greed, materialism, the idols of our day, if we're honest. And they have incredible potential then to blind one to spiritual realities, to ultimate needs, ultimate matters of import. Because, because the temporal needs aren't experienced. They're not felt. So so because I'm, I'm in a place where those are met, I'm not looking to a sovereign God to care for me and provide for me in that particular way. And yet you and I know, we all know that that those are just really one small part of life and that there is no amount of wealth or material affluence that is going to meet the deep longing of the human heart when, when I have an acute sense of my sin and my brokenness or anxiety or fear or, or despair that can come so quickly from our current culture. See, that... That is the reality of of material greed. It was a warning that Jesus gave just earlier in this chapter not to let one's life consist in abundance of possessions. It's something He speaks to again and again because money and wealth has a seductive power to it. And rarely are we aware of materialism in our own lives, but we're often always aware of it in somebody else's. warning here is don't let something that is temporal like that distract you from what is truly wealthy, from what is of true import and value. They focused on the temporal at the expense of the eternal. and They failed to grasp what they were missing. It's possible to go about one's business To do it in a way that that pursues call and vocation that deepens faith and love for Christ and dependence upon Christ. It's possible to live that way. That's what Jesus has in mind here as He calls these crowds to, to, to reorder their priorities so that in rightly understanding who He was and the salvation that is found in Christ, they might then live out the call that God has placed upon their lives into the various things that have occupied them. See, the, the key to, to setting Christ's kingdom above everything else, that's central, and then you can go about everything else because Christ is guiding and, and setting the agenda, if you will, and the priorities of life. They failed to, to read the signs, to interpret The time to see who Christ was. See, a sign is is a marker that conveys a message. And everything that Jesus had done up until this point were were markers speaking a very specific message to these people that, that the time had come, the day of salvation was at hand, That God was redeeming a people unto Himself through Christ for His glory. That was the message that was being communicated every time Jesus would do a miracle. Every time He would heal. Every time He would just uh, stun the crowds. Because they had never seen this before every time the message was being given that the kingdom of God is at hand. And always tied into that, repent therefore and believe. This is where the crowds had had missed the moment. Had misinterpreted the time that they failed to see who Christ was and thus failed to respond in brokenness and contrition. And repentance and faith. Present time that Jesus speaks of. Is is a time of God's significant activity in Christ. And the activity is the kingdom of God. The very apex of salvation. uh, Salvation history. Everything God had been working forward now toward was, was present in Christ. He had broken into the world as a baby born of a virgin. He came to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and quiet storms and bring salvation. See, his coming was evidence of the victory of God over sin and suffering and death, victory over the devil and demons. And what he was doing is he was giving them a foretaste of the life that was to come found in Christ. This is trivial, so forgive me. But it's not uncommon, not dissimilar to going to Trader Joe's and going to the booth where they have all the samples and tasting a sample such that you desire to know in its fullness what they had just given you a sample of. That's a foretaste. That's exactly what Christ is doing. Every time He does something miraculous and significant in front of them, it is to show them the kingdom that is at hand that one day will come to its full consummation. That's the beauty and the glory of what Jesus is trying to convey to these crowds. And He uses strong language to do it. He uses language of warning and rebuke because they had missed the moment. They had failed to grasp who He was. And I can't think of more pertinent warning in our day and for our culture and for us. That we would would begin to see Christ anew and afresh in such a way as to set our priorities straight, setting Him above all things, pursuing Christ and His kingdom above all things, living in accord with those priorities such that we would be a blessing to the nations, that we would come with the good news of the gospel on our lips, that we would speak to those in need and bring healing and care and provision so that the Gospels advanced. The danger of missing the signs, such as the case for uh, Captain Taylor, as was also the case of the people of Pompeii, who in A.D. 79, with the explosion of Mount Vesuvius, which came suddenly... The residents of Pompeii and Herculaneum were killed while in their daily routine. Just going about their business. Men and women at the market, the rich in their luxurious baths, slaves at toil. They died amid volcanic ash and superheated gases. Even family pets suffered the same quick and final fate. It takes little imagination to picture the panic of that terrible day. And the saddest part is that these people did not have to die. Scientists confirm what ancient Roman writers record that weeks of rumblings and shakings preceded the actual explosion. Even an ominous plume of smoke was clearly visible from the mountain days before the eruption. And if only they had been able to read and to respond to the signs of warning. And not just become complacent with what was going on around them. If they had recognized what the weather and the appearance of the sky was was telling them. And even more so, for these crowds recognized the dawning of the kingdom of God in what Jesus says and does. Maybe you come this day and and you find yourself kind of just going through the motions of faith. Maybe you have, maybe you've you've understood Christ and who He is, and yet somehow it it's really not penetrating deep down into the day to day of life the 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 inhaling and exhaling of life or or maybe you you don't grasp and understand who Christ is at all maybe you've failed to interpret exactly rightly who he is and why he came Maybe you've missed the moment and, and don't understand that today then is the time of faith for you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a day to trust and to see Christ as He truly is, the Messiah, the, the King of kings, the, the Son of the living God, such that you would walk with Him now and set His priorities as your priorities and live for Him rather than for yourself. See, what, what had happened to these crowds is they had, they had gained a sense of security and confidence. But it was based on ignorance. It, it, was, it was based on a false understanding of Christ. And that sense of security that they were lulled into put them in harm's way in great danger. So maybe the warning of this passage is a warning for us this day that we would not be lulled into a false sense of security, but that we would come trusting Christ, seeing Him for who He is as the Messiah and the Redeemer, and then following Him wherever He would lead. That is the call of our passage It is a call of the gospel to know and believe to follow Christ, to trust in Him. And He is constantly giving us the right signs we need to know Him and perhaps the greatest sign the sign of the cross the sign of the resurrection the the sign that tells us ultimately Who Jesus is and why he came. That he died on the cross in the place of sinners like you and me. Taking the punishment we deserved. He shed his blood so that we would not have to. So that we might have life, new life, life to the full. That's precisely the sign that we remember as we partake in the table together. We remember the very person and work of Christ and what He accomplished by shedding His blood for sinners. So it is with that in mind that we we turn to Him, that we turn to the table, and that we pray. Father, would You... Help us to see you with clarity, to see Christ, to know him as our king, and to pursue his kingdom, your purpose, your glory, as our first priority in all of life, we pray. We pray it in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.